Now you can find, listen and subscribe to Chilling with Jens and the local Danfoss Climate Solution podcast in your RevTools app. Download it from danfoss.com. Service and support. Downloads. Hi, I'm Jens Andersen from Danfoss Climate Solution. Thank you for listening in to this podcast in a series we call Tour de Cooling, where we're taking a trip through the different parts of a refrigeration system. The refrigerant is a quite essential part of a refrigeration system, I guess you can say without exaggerating, and there are quite some changes taking place in the business when it comes to refrigerants. Today we, that's our experts Jörg Saar and John Broughton, and myself are talking about what to expect and what may change and what will not change when it comes to refrigerants. We also trying to shed a light on those of the changes that we know of and try to address some of the uncertainties that may be simmering in the community. John and Jörg, thank you for attending also this podcast, which is number Yeah, I've forgotten which number it is. I think it's uh, number seven in our series of uh, cooling through the system. So far, we've been talking about the components and the pipings and what do I know. But we haven't put anything into the piping, so to speak. So, and that is the, 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 the theme of today, the thingy the substance that we put into the piping. Any comments so far? Uh, yeah, shouldn't we call that stuff refrigerant? So we can all... <laughs> no, I, not, uh, but, uh, seriously, uh, you're totally right, Jens. Yes, quite often when when we or anybody talks about all the components all the parts of a refrigeration system we talk about all the metal stuff right whether those are compressors valves pipes heat exchangers however there's one important component which is called the refrigerant and we need that as well that's the stuff that that evaporates that condenses that transports all the energy for us so yeah, let's talk about that. That's that's a really a really good start. I guess so. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's 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 also a huge theme, so to speak. So I'm not sure where to start, but let's let's put it this way. Right now, in 2023, we have I don't know how many different refrigerants. Why? Oh. Why? Yeah. yeah, John. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Uh, that's a good question. And um, yeah, I I don't know how many either, Jens, to be honest. It, it must be, yeah, 40 something, I guess. Um, if you look at everything that is available somewhere around that number anyway. Um, why do we have all the different refrigerants? Um, I guess it comes down to application. Um, whether it's medium temperature, low temperature, high temperature, um, the technology that we use to compress that refrigerant. Um, yeah, there's a, there's an awful lot of them. And, you know, that 
is sort of split between the the global warming potential of that refrigerant, its density, so meaning is it low density, medium density, high density, does it work in a vacuum? Um, is it a natural refrigerant, you know, such as CO2, ammonia, for example? So a, a huge range. So yeah, quite a challenging, how do you decide what refrigerant you use? Yeah, that's that's totally right. You mentioned the different applications. And just to go to the extremes, we have low temperature applications, which try to use a product temperature of minus 20, minus 30, minus 40. And then let's go to a refrigerant that has a very high evaporating temperature. Um, maybe or an application, not a refrigerant, an application with a very high evaporating temperature, like air conditioning of a of a crane cabin, which is sitting in in the heat in the sun all the time, that has a pretty high temperature, and that's why you you have already two different refrigerants, one for the very low temperature, one for the very high temperature, to have the different pressures and and all of that, right? Um, and now, as you mentioned, we, we had some refrigerants in the past. So we could say, why don't we have only three? Low, medium, high temperature. Yeah. I mean, it was like that once a bit. A yes. bit. We still yes. had ammonia and, and stuff, but um, a bit. Yeah. And then we had these refrigerant changes. And we're probably going to speak about that, I guess, Jens. Um, and of course, you still need refrigerants, the old ones, to do service on systems and then you have the the newer ones which have a lower global warming potential and then you might have the the very new ones which have then uh, which are the natural refrigerants so they just add up and over time they get less again because the very old ones will disappear but that's that's how more and more refrigerants came into play mm -hmm. I'm old enough, unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know which, to remember having three cylinders in my van, uh, which was 12, 22 and 502. Um, but as you say, those days are, are long gone. I, I can't imagine how many cylinders of refrigerant you need to keep in your van nowadays, honestly. That's, that's true, but R12 is a good example, right? You wouldn't have that in the van anymore. For sure. That's that's gone. So slowly we will phase some of them out. But um, just having three is probably going to take quite a while until that happens again. <laughs> yeah. So it's not just about the application itself. It's also the <clears throat> the impact on on uh, the environment that that we are sort of addressing with this vast amount of, of, of refrigerants that we have on the market these days. And and of course, I guess if, if we should say, take a very quick, very quick historic view uh, over what has happened the last, I don't know, what is it, 20, 30 years maybe, uh, we had a, an ozone layer, which were being a bit uh, untight, I guess you could call it that uh, it was sort of being eaten up by uh, these synthetic uh, uh, substances, refrigerants, uh, but they, it was not just as refrigerant these, these substances were used, it was also different other things uh, like, you know, you, I'm also that old that I remember the Freon uh, cans that you would use for spraying whatever things, 
around. And then and that's uh, destroyed the ozone layer, so we need it needed to do something. And and uh, miraculously, miraculously, it it happened actually that the world could actually uh, unite in doing something about this. So <clears throat> we had to phase out some of the very nasty stuff. And now we have uh, Kigali, uh, which is an addition to the Montreal contract. No, it's not a contract. What is protocol. it? It's it's a protocol. It's a protocol. Thank you. Yeah. Where it says that we need also to diminish the uh, freon-based refrigerants. Is that correct? That's that's correct. Yes, it, it is. As you say, a learning process, right? Mm. We started. If if you go before freon times, we. I mean, um, refrigeration started with with refrigerants which were flammable and toxic and so on, and then came these safety refrigerants. When was that? Help me guys, 50s, 50s, 60s, something like that. And and that was R12, R11 um, and, and that kind of stuff. Right? That was a learning like, hey, we, we have something which is more safe. And then we learned that, as you mentioned, Jens, that the chlorine there starts to destroy the ozone layer. So mm -hmm. the chlorine was removed. And then new learnings came in that there is a, a high global warming impact. And that's what we look at right now to reduce that. So we learn constantly mm. and we adapt. And yeah. that's why why we have these changes. If you sort of go back in, in history, um, we started refrigeration with the vapor compression cycle about 1834 uh, and those safe refrigerants you mentioned your came in between let's say 1930 and 1950 oh, okay. um, so a long time ago um, yeah. and I'm, I'm quite surprised it's actually that that long ago um, and then it was about 1970 where we discovered the the ozone depletion process and then as you say it's been a constant learning and sort of change from from that there from there on in um, and a lot of the refrigerants like CO2 that we started to use in the early part of the 1900s, you know, they're, they're now back in favor again. So we've almost come full circle with some refrigerants. Mm. Um, so, yeah, yeah very right. interesting times. Just just a question, actually, while we're talking about refrigerants, what is it that the refrigerant actually, what what, what is its job in the system? Um well, to, to me, the job in the system of the refrigerant <laughs> is to to take heat energy when it evaporates and then transport that heat energy to the condenser and give it away again when it condenses there. So to me, the refrigerant could be called a transport vehicle. Um, that's That's, in my opinion, its job. And then we want a refrigerant which is nice to our components, which behaves well in the system. So we want a pretty kind refrigerant, which is kind to us. <laughs> and and then um, our job is to keep it in the refrigeration system and to keep it clean and to to put nothing else in the system. So it it does not have to discuss with others whether 
it should be the refrigerant in the system or whether some oxygen comes mm. around and says, no, 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 this is my place to live. Um, that's our job to not have the oxygen in there. <laughs> Right. Yeah, no, very, very good description. Um, it, it, it's interesting, Jörg, when you mention that is exactly how I sort of um, talk about the the refrigerant in a system. It's the heat transport medium, if you like. Mm. Um, and then, then you mention it, it's job and, and what we have to, or what the refrigerant has to do. And I sort of look at it as a, a, a a challenge really you've got the safety factor of the refrigerant you've got the affordability how you know how costly is that refrigerant and then the environmental sort of angle as well and in between all that um you know you've got energy efficiency you've got cost you've got life cycle you've got uh the behavior in the system it's flammability so many many things that you have to think about about that refrigerant in the system so it's not a it's not an easy choice, I guess. No, it's not an easy job. It's doing actually, and and like you said, York, it's it also needs to behave uh, decent uh, in in many different ways. So, um, but if 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 we could sort of squeeze that down to one single thing, I I think York, you said it. It's the energy transporter in the system transporting the heat which is energy from here to there mm. essentially right which is also the same system that you're using in a in a heat pump for instance that's true there's just one thing we we maybe should mention because you could have a different way of transporting heat you could have water which is cold, which catches the heat, warms up and transports the heat and rejects it at, at another place where the warm water rejects the heat again. The difference between that water transport and the refrigerant transport is that the refrigerant is doing a phase change. That's when we talk about a refrigerant. If there is no phase change, that is not a refrigerant. Then, then it's it's just another form of heat transport, but a refrigerant is transporting the heat as well. However, it's doing a phase change. It evaporates, it condenses. Only then we talk about a refrigerant. Hmm. And I guess also if you if you take the example of of water, the the actual amount of heat it would transport. And the temperature difference it would transport is going to be very minimal. So yeah. you might pick up a degree or two degrees and reject a couple of degrees. But in refrigeration, we let's say collect and uh, disperse a, a, a much greater percentage of, of heat. Uh, yeah. It's, it's actually quite, <clears throat> quite amazing how much energy it takes to evaporate this uh, yeah, substance refrigerant, and and evaporating it means also taking away that energy heat from whatever it is it is cooling, and it's quite a lot actually. It does in that process. Mm. Yeah, and just to give rough numbers, just as an example, if you warm it up one Kelvin, just warm warming it up. Let's say a liquid that does not evaporate, you warm it up by one Kelvin, you need a single ding, a single digit in kilojoules, let's say five. 
four to five kilojoule per kilogram. If you evaporate one kilogram, it can easily go to a thousand or even two thousand kilojoule that you need. So th th that's the difference we talk about. And that's the idea why we evaporate, why we condense that we transport a lot of heat with a lower amount of kilograms. So being a refrigerant is actually a tough job. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. You get expanded, you get compressed, and and then you need to evaporate and condense and transport all the heat whilst doing that. So yeah, it's it's a tough job. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And all um, that in inside a seal system. In yeah. The darkness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But talking about, um, say, all these changes that are, is going on with the different types of refrigerants, et cetera, et cetera, um, it is probably a bit of a, uh, <laughs> also a, a pretty tough task for a refrigeration engineer nowadays to decide which refrigerant to use. And especially if you look, say, further into the future, not just tomorrow or uh, next year, but if we're looking five to ten years ahead, what do you see as perspectives in, in, in this kind of sort of longer um, perspective? Well, um, it is a bit difficult to say exactly this refrigerant, that's the future for for most applications. So to give you a refrigerant number, that's a bit difficult. What we can say, in my opinion, is that you need to look at a refrigerant which has a low global warming potential. And the longer you look into the future, the more you look into the future, the lower that global warming potential is going to be. In general, there are a few numbers which, which might be good indications. Um, and the number of 150 is a long-term number for sure. So anything below 150, that's what you need to look at longer term. So not necessarily next year, but maybe in two, three, five years, depending on where you are. Um, refrigerants with a global warming potential, a GWP of less than 150, for new systems, that's what we talk about, for new systems. That's what we are going to see. And just to take some panic out, out of some discussions, um, existing systems, they can still run. So that's that's okay. You, you are allowed to do service on them. That's still okay. Uh, but we talk about new systems here. You don't need to change an existing system, which is five years old, into a refrigerant, which has a GWP of less than 150. That's not necessary. What you need to do is when you build a new system, then you should look at these low GWP refrigerants. Yeah, that's 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 good to know. Uh, that's also what you hear sort of in the pipes, so to speak, um, that there are a certain uh worry about what is going to to happen uh not just in five ten years time but also yeah the next couple of years do we know anything about what what is 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 um say going to happen if we take europe alone do we do we have any sort of uh, let's call it a shorter perspective whatever short is in this context 
do we do we know what is going to happen within the the next well, I don't know one year two years maybe? Yeah. Um, so let's let's really talk about Europe at the moment because mm. there are different timescales for for different regions. Um, but in general, on a global scale, there's the Kigali Amendment, which reduces the the GWP level in in general. Europe is is um, the fastest at the moment regarding that phase down. And there are discussions going on in Europe to modify the existing European FGAS regulation. However, until that modification is, is decided, the existing one is still valid. So until then, the existing one is still valid. All, all the stuff that's in the existing regulation is valid. And that will be valid until at least the end of this year. Because there are now discussions going on in Europe how the new FGAS regulation should look like. And these discussions are ongoing, and that's why we don't have a final, a final information how it will look like. Again, the GWP of 150 will be an important value. That's already pretty clear. So we will see applications which are limited for new equipment to GWP of 150 maximum. Maybe some applications will even be lower or, or no HFCs. We don't know that yet. Again, for new equipment, that's what we talk about. But 150, you can expect that, that many applications will be limited to GWP 150. The date from which that will happen is unclear. That might be 24 already, that might be 25, that might be 26, we don't know yet. Something that we know already as well is that the available CO2 equivalent in the market, so how many CO2 tons equivalent um, to, to the refrigerant are going to be in the market, that will be reduced as well, more than in the existing FGAS regulation. So that, that will become more demanding. One thing that we are pretty certain about as well is something that is not going to happen because there were discussions and many people were afraid about that, that you will no longer be able to use refrigerants with a GWP higher than 150 for service. That's not going to happen, that there will be a general limit of GWP 150 for service refrigerants. That's not going to happen, what, what we can see. So we still can have service refrigerants with more than GWP 150, at least until 2030. Yeah, and, and, and then there's a question about the cost of that particular refrigerant, I presume. Yeah, yes, yeah. They're going to be more expensive. Things, yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's the supply and demand simple mm. equation. So, uh, yeah, let's see. But yeah, but so far it's 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 business as usual. You could say, uh, even though, uh, or at least for the existing systems, uh, services absolutely allowed. Mm. Correct. And uh, yeah. business as usual in that respect. Yes. However, a, a strong recommendation is to to say okay i can continue to do the service with the refrigerants i have all right good um but please 
look into these new refrigerants. Get get um, information about that. Try to get trainings about A2L, A3 refrigerants because they will come. You will be faced with systems who are charged with these refrigerants. That's the important point. It, that there is no need to panic to say, I don't have that information right now. I cannot do, I cannot work tomorrow. This is not the case. But if you don't do anything to educate yourself, to get prepared, you will not be able to work in three years maybe because you're going to see more of these refrigerants. That's the important stuff to to really get going now. Yeah, while yeah. there is time to sort of uh, pick up the new uh, insights of these. Yeah, it's it's not just the natural refrigerants, but I, well, yeah, it is. I, I presume it is mostly the new uh, or the natural refrigerants, which is the challenge, you could say, in the business, isn't it? Mm, yeah, I mean, we have some unknowns, I guess, for the future. Um, you know, one is, as we've said, the sort of price development of the existing refrigerants as they become scarcer. Um, you know, I guess the price is only going to go one way. Um, you've then got things like the technology developments of, um, you know, how can we make refrigeration better um, with the, let's say, new refrigerants? So they might be techn technological sort of developments on that score. Um, then you've got things like the safety standards um, for flammable refrigerants and the development of that. They may become stricter. They may become, let's say, less strict, um, you know, charge volumes and all that um, topic with flammable refrigerants. Um, these are things that we don't know. Um, you know, they, 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 they will for sure change, but we don't know which way. And then, like you said, Jörg, it's that market readiness of are we ready to use these new, well, not new refrigerants, um, you know, things like flammable refrigerants or mildly flammable refrigerants or high pressure refrigerants such as CO2. Mm. Um, are, are people trained? Are people ready? Um, and do they put limitations into the sort of typical installations that we know today? So, for example, with a flammable refrigerant, you have a ch current charge limit. Um, so maybe you can't use 70 meters of pipe, which is a long way. Um, but, you know, your your charge volumes currently are restricted. So if we have to go down that route, maybe the installation changes a little bit. So I think there's a lot of unknowns yet. But as you say, market readiness and, and people readiness is a, a key. Agree. And we can expect to see more compact systems due to the reasons you mentioned, especially when you have a highly flammable refrigerant like propane. You want to reduce as a manufacturer of that refrigerant or as an installer who builds a system on site, you want to charge the lowest amount possible to reduce the risk. Hmm. The lower the amount you have in the system, the lower the risk is. That's as simple as it is. Yeah. And that's why why the systems get more and more compact. You try to not put it away the 70 meters, mm. but have it very close to the point where you need it. Um, so that kind of stuff, that's what you have. And maybe we see we see 
some systems who change to kind of chiller based things that you 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 generate the cooling in the chiller and then transport it via brine or water that that kind of change we might see longer term as well mm -hmm. so there yeah. is a constant development of refrigeration mm. and systems yeah no that's true um and i guess yeah that the system that uh, is in use in some retail places now you know the water loop system so you have a, a, a self-contained uh, refrigeration system using hydrocarbon and your your heat from your condenser is then taken away by the by you know a, a water loop mm. so uh, mm. yeah it'll be interesting i think yeah there's there's one remark i would like to make um because now we have these highly flammable refrigerants. Example, propane. We have the mildly flammable refrigerants, A2Ls, 4R454C, for example. Just to give one example, or 1234ZE, doesn't matter. And we have the A1s. So, And then we have CO2, and we have ammonia. And, and maybe somebody thinks, well, can I handle all of that? Well, look back a bit as well. If you've been working with HFCs in the past, so 134A, 404A, maybe even longer ago, R22, have you at the same time been working on ammonia systems as well? If not, well, why shouldn't that be in the future as well? Then you might work with propane and A2L refrigerants, but you still don't work on ammonia systems. Right? Mm. That, that it's it's not that that everything mixes up. It, it's not very probable that you're gonna see ammonia in a typical two kilowatt cold room. You're probably not gonna see that <laughs> ammonia in a supermarket. That's not to be expected. Right? That that kind of stuff um, will stay mm. as before. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, how about CO2? I mean, CO2 has been uh, around for, well, quite a while now. A long but, time. Uh, yeah. But we see, yeah. uh, is that correct if I say we see smaller and smaller CO2 systems? Yes, that is to a certain degree correct. CO2 started with um, or restarted several some some years ago, some 10, maybe even 15, 20 years ago in supermarkets. And that's why you see CO2 mainly. Now it goes into larger industrial refrigeration systems as well, large commercial systems. On the other hand, it goes to smaller units like 20 kilowatt uh, condensing units, for example, let's call them condensing units. Uh, for for convenience stores, for petrol stations, and that kind of stuff. That's why you where you see CO2 as well. However, the question is, will you see a CO2 system in a in a bottle cooler? Probably not. No, because that makes no sense, right? You have a you have a very compact system there. A one kilowatt compressor in in that system, or one kilowatt refrigeration system, propane is the perfect solution for that. And and that what that's what happened already. Kind of all these systems have changed to propane. Mm. 
and you don't see CO2 there. It, it makes no sense there. Mm. I, I think it'll become very clear in the coming, uh, let's say, years that certain applications will run on a certain refrigerant and that'll be, let's say, fixed until things change from a legislative point of view. Mm -hmm. um, like you say at the moment, anything in a commercial kitchen, a server of a counter, you know, bottle cooler, uh, dr uh, drinks machine, that's all R290. Um, yeah. You know, all, all your domestic refrigerators are 600. Um, so I think things have settled down a little bit in the in the lower end of the capacity. It's that sort of commercial bit um, from maybe a kilowatt upwards that is a little bit fluid at the moment or will be fluid. <laughs> yeah, and it somehow was in the past as well, right? I mean, you had mm -hmm. systems with 134A and 404A. You did not have all at one refrigerant. Sometimes you used 404A for medium temperature refrigeration code rooms as well, um, but for slightly higher 134A. So it, it was a choice of what is the best here? What is the most energy efficient refrigerant in, in that application? And that's mm. probably going to stay so that that's, there's not only one. We, we have several refrigerants there depending on what exactly do you do? And which one is the best solution here? Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, true, true. So, so it's it will be or eventually be like it's it always has been, so to speak, just <laughs> with different uh, refrigerants, actually, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's application dependent, and then uh, just a new refrigerant for that particular. Uh, temperature range, for instance. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And and again, just to repeat that, if you have a system installed with 134A and that is still working and you need to do a service, you still can use, for example, recycled 134A for that application mm. to do mm. a service on that system. That's yeah. still possible. And if if you would not be able to do a service with 134A in the future, due to whatever reason, you still have the possibility to go down to a drop-in, which is a non-flammable, again, on a, on a system that had a non-flammable refrigerant. Please only do service with another non-flammable refrigerant because the system was not designed for flammable refrigerants. And that's the reason why we need to have that capability to do a service on the system. We cannot put flammable refrigerant into that system. It was never designed for that from a safety approach. Hmm. Yeah, very good point. I have one last question, uh, which I know the answer to, but uh, I'll, I'll ask it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Are we, as parts manufacturer ready for all this? That's a very good question. Yeah. That's 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 a good question. And if if honestly, if we say yes, we are, you can always come along and say, yeah, but um, this compressor here, you don't have that for the refrigerant one, two, three, four, whatever, right? ABC, um, the refrigerant 400 something. That's correct. Yes. 
However, in in general, Danfoss is is trying to to say, well, these are the refrigerants which are most probably going to have a longer future, and these are the refrigerants which we maybe need as an as a midterm. I don't. John, help me. How is that? How is that called as a native speaker? Um, when you need that for a certain period of time, maybe 15, 20 years. Midterm, um, yes. Midterm, intermediate, whatever. Yeah. And and then we do all the qualifications and and all of that for these refrigerants. Since there are so many, we we had to decide which ones. So there there are for sure one or two refrigerants where we don't have a qualification, but we constantly upgrading qualifications here mm. and for new product developments um, certain refrigerants are set now that means when danfoss develops a new product for example an expansion valve an electric expansion valve uh, propane when that goes to commercial applications is is a given that has to be approved for propane as well in addition to the others so to make the product future proof kind of that you can use it for many different refrigerants Mm, mm. And it's probably fair to say that most of the, let's say, current refrigerants and possible future refrigerants are made up of known refrigerants. Because if we talk about a blend, they're all blended refrigerants. Um, mm. And we as Danfoss know that a material is okay with this particular refrigerant or that particular refrigerant. So it make, makes life a little easier if we're still working with the known refrigerants that are, uh, let's say, blended to make the current, let's say, the, the 400 series of refrigerants, for, for example, they're all a blend refrigerant and we know the compounds that they're made up of and we know the effect that they have on the product, on, you know, materials, let, let's say. So that makes it a little easier. From a qualification point of view, Jörg, what sort of time frame would we as, as a manufacturer say if somebody brought out a brand new refrigerant that we'd never even heard of before how long would it take to, to qualify a product for that quite a while um <laughs> yeah because i mean that that very brand new refrigerant depending on how it's right. made as you say quite a lot of these mm. refrigerants are mixtures of substances we know then we can give a pretty good estimation whether these substances are okay, are stable in the refrigeration system and are okay with all the, the sealing, rubber materials and whatever um, what you have and mm. other plastics and so on. If there is a new component that we have not been analyzing so far, we first of all start to look into is that at all chemically stable in the refrigeration system? At all these temperatures, especially at, at the high temperatures um, when when you're in the discharge valve of the compressor, that's the, that's the highest temperature point we have in the system. So what happens there? Are we going to have any chemical reactions there with the oil or whatever, right? So even that takes a bit of time. Hmm. And then we we go deeper into checking what happens to all the plastic materials, to to all the, to all the ceilings, and all that kind of stuff. So it, it can easily take a year and more. Mm. Two years, easy, that, that, especially on compressors. You keep them running for thousands of hours before you open them and check how they look inside. Mm. Um, that's, that's the kind of thing 
we do. Yeah. And then just yeah. another remark, maybe um, if we qualify a product, for example, a compressor, maybe now for a flammable refrigerant, you look at the compressor, you might say, yeah, but I mean, it's the same compressor. I could have used that. I could have used that three years ago, but you didn't allow me to do that. Okay, maybe. However, quite often the, the details are important. It looks like the same compressor. Maybe there's an, a new oil composition in the compressor, which makes sure the lubrication works. Quite often the relay on the compressor, it looks pretty much similar, but it has a different code number and it has a different design internally. So it makes sure that in case in every relay you have a spark. So in case there is there is an, an explosive atmosphere around the relay, it's still safe. The old one maybe wasn't because it was not needed to be safe. So uh, just saying I take any compressor if I have still an old one. Um, I mean, that was approved that compressor. Now I have a three year old compressor. I can use that for propane now as well. Uh, don't do that. <laughs> really <laughs> go, go to the exact code number that, that is specified for that because there was quite a lot of work going into that to make it safe. Correct. Yes. Interesting. And, and yes, it takes time to qualify a product uh, for many different reasons. Okay, so so we have components and we will have components in future. Uh, some of these components uh, also depend on some lubrication, oil. What about that? That's a good point. Um, if we think about, let's say, the heart of the system, the compressor, and unless it is a, a, a oil-free compressor, uh, like the Turbocore with the magnetic bearings, um, you know, they need oil to lubricate, to function. And a percentage of the oil will get transported around the system with the refrigerant by the action of the compressor, um, pumping it, et cetera. Um, so that oil leaves the compressor as a percentage flows around the system and comes back to our compressor, hopefully. So we keep our compressor alive, um, main thing. Um, but then some of those, some of the components within the system need maybe a little bit of lubrication. Solenoid valves, um, for an example, uh, electronic expansion valves, they need a little bit of lubrication. Um, but different refrigerants carry more or less oil and the oil can separate it can stay within the refrigerant so there's a lot of topics around that as well when you're choosing a refrigerant um, if we think back to the retrofit times when we got rid of 22 the oils that we used then were very good at scouring the internal parts of the refrigeration system and bringing back any debris mm. um, so there's some issues there with the, uh, I think it was R R290 had some challenges with oil compatibility as well, if I remember rightly. But Jörg, I think you, you know a little bit more about that one. Well, um, yeah, as, as you say, uh, refrigerants mix into the oil. And um, if, if you have more and more refrigerant in the oil, then it gets less and less slippery so it, <laughs> it, the lubrication effect gets gets lower 
Yes. It gets more towards kind of water, right? Um, it's not going to be water, but but the lubrication effect of water. So the lubrication defect uh, effect goes down when you put more and more refrigerant into the oil. And depending on which refrigerant you have and which oil you have, they like each other a lot and they mix. So you might have a lot of refrigerant in the oil. And then your lubrication effect is maybe too low. The bearing can no longer carry, or the oil film in the bearing can no longer carry the load. And that's why it's so important to have the right oil for the right for the refrigerant you are using. You cannot just use any oil um, and say, well, it's it's oil, it's fine, it's gonna work. No, it's not gonna work because because you make the oil too thin when you when you have all that refrigerant in the oil and it can no longer lubricate the compressor as it should. Mm. That's that's one one of the big things. So it's really necessary to have the right oil in the compressor. And if you do a service, put the specified oil back into the compressor, not any oil. Mm. Yeah, very good point. And particularly very valid with things like CO2 um, and the hydrocarbons. Yes. Um, very, because some of the oils for the CO2 is they're very specialist oils. And I think the same for the hydrocarbons, York, as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's a good point. I, I, and one one question: Does the refrigerant go in the oil, or does the oil go into the refrigerant? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I've been I've been that's, asked that before in a training good session. Question: um, Maybe that's even different for some refrigerants and some oils. I don't know what what I. What I heard so far is that if if you stop the system, at, at least that's my experience, you stop the system, everything, the complete system is at the same temperature for a long time. You keep it standing for a couple of days. Then the refrigerant goes into the oil. The oil is still sitting. Most of the oil is still sitting in the compressor. And then you see the oil level rising up in that compressor. If you could look through the compressor shell, of course, yeah. then you, you would see the oil level rising because refrigerant mixes into the oil um, whether that can happen in another place in the system the other way around i don't know to be honest <laughs> <laughs> good i'm glad you're as confused as me <laughs> i think we uh we have uh almost ah not quite an hour but at least three quarters of an hour uh chat here it was interesting as usual it was a pleasure as usual to talk to the two guys john and jörg and uh, thank you so much for attending this uh podcast again i hope to see you again um soon in a the next podcast thank you so much thank you jens thank you thank you for listening in on this podcast you're very welcome to post your questions in the social medias where you find Danfoss, typically LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. Thank you so much, and remember to keep your cool, even though things are running pretty hot.